Hello and welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. My name is Jack Lewis Evans. And my name is Sean Morley. Look, Sean, a horse. That's a cow. What's it eating? Cow. This episode is about the countryside. What is the countryside? Where is it and why? We'll be talking about how our pastoral dreams of green and pleasant lands obscures rural poverty, biodiversity-destroying farming practices and arcane land ownership laws. Please help the Mando's hay bale keep rolling down the hill by sharing this episode on social media. And if you want to support your local podcast farmer, you can pop a couple of coins in the trust box at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party. In return, you'll get access to a bumper crop of extra content and bonus mini episodes. Look, Sean, a rabbit. That's a cow. It's burrowing. Okay, maybe I was wrong. Look. A farmer's coming to say hello. Hello, farmer. We like your field. That's a cow. The British countryside is strange, isn't it? Would Mm, you agree? Bizarre, otherworldly. You've gone back in time. I think especially North Wales, which I had the mix of I'm in the countryside and I'm also in these like grim seaside towns. Uh, Don't realise how weird. I mean, I think I knew it was weird when I was in it, but then leaving, meeting lots of other people. I almost said normal people then, but maybe they are normal. What is there normal? There is a feeling that once you've started living in a city, city people are normal. And it's not that people outside the city are abnormal. It's just that it feels a bit easier to meet someone that you cannot have a conversation with. And that's even that is taking into account that the high level of uh, mental illness on the street is quite high in cities. It's just not taken into account. Mm. Something about rural weirdness is scary in a folk horror way, whereas mental illness on the street is just scary in a systemic failure of services kind of way. Yeah. We don't have the sort of wilderness in England and Wales that you do in America, or even Scotland kind of gets close to it. Of There are big gaps of very unpopulated areas up there. Yeah, how well could you permanently hide? Mm. The thing that has always fascinated... If you go back to like the the uh, like Arthurian legends, there's so many tales of like, oh, we just found this wizard and he lives in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the days in which you can live in the woods without having someone in like a beige jacket point a grouse <laughs> rifle at you have been numbered for over a hundred years. <laughs> it's difficult to set up a hovel. I always it? wanted to go. I lived in the countryside and I always wanted to go day drinking. Right. I always wanted with my friends. We wanted underage drinks somewhere on the weekend. But we didn't want any adults moving us on, causing a fuss. We just wanted to try and get some spirits and mixers and hide somewhere. <laughs> this is very familiar. And, and you've got the, all of the countryside, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, where can you do it where no one will come? And that became like the puzzle of like the entire time I was doing my AS levels. <laughs> I had, we had a few good places. So the, the quarry, that was a good mm. one. And That's that could, um, we had to stop doing that because it unsettled the townspeople. I say it unsettled the townspeople. We unsettled the townspeople. Oh, so you're still being perceived, right? So it's not perfect. It, yes, but to an extent we were jo- enjoying being perceived because there was a lot of rusted, corrugated iron up there and you've got a bit of a buzz on from your white lightning and then you're throwing gravel mm. at the, the, the corrugated iron and it's making big, loud noises that are echoing around the quarry and then echoing into the town. I mean, it became, I, I think... The obvious answer is there's, there's some silly lads up there doing silly lad things, but it did. There were, was talk of a sort of entity living in the quarry. Yes, the beast of the quarry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You but brought the, g- the big cat myths to your own front door. A <laughs> <laughs> big cat that likes percussion. Um, yeah, but it's a lynx on a drum kit. But that was good. That was good because the only two ways to get into that were through a sort of 
horrible gorse you could get in through the back if you're willing to be mm. horribly spiked. The other way was to go through two gates with like no entry and danger signs on. That's always fun, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is there, a, is there ever a sign that makes you turn back? For me, it's the big electricity like, yeah, one. Anything else, one. I yeah, disregard. Yeah, yeah. Once I see a big lightning bolt going into, there's a guy going, ah, ah yeah, big lightning yeah, bolt. Yeah. I'm like, oh boy, yeah. a, bit, a bit rich for my blood. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I'm like, I would be that guy as well. Like, it, I, yeah. I would but There's always someone who's like, nah, nah, it's just propaganda, it's just lies. Yeah. I've not, Lightning's I mean, it's not that thick. I do. I will respect a warning sign a lot more in the in the city than I, I would as a youth in the countryside because I would just see no entry and be like, oh, great, this means there'll be fewer people this way. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what that sign meant. The other place we would go, there was like a, 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 a river, well, more a stream. Um, well, I don't know, fair whack. At full pelt, it's like three metres wide. Yeah. That's, it's in the, it's in that's the realms of river. Well. And it's above the above the water, this waterfall. And then you've got barbed wire fence a really old, like, rusty, grim barbed wire fence that, like, goes into trees that have, like, grown over the fence posts. And then real horrible, like, nettles overgrowth. But if you went through that, were willing to go through the the nettle danger about 20 metres, you would find an abandoned Roman lead mine. So a series of sort of crazy interconnected caves, which, again, great for making horrifying sounds come out of. And and once again, just inexplicably, big bits of corrugated iron. Like, who swears it? It's not the Romans. Someone was doing something there recently. Both of them felt like the commons. Yeah. It must have been owned by someone, but it it felt like you shouldn't be there, but it also felt like, yeah, this is is our secret place. What I like about the countryside... Is, is firstly, there's enough open expanse and weird little bits. You feel like you can find stuff and there's old bits of a history that could be around every corner. But whenever you find anything, there's always like a crushed up couple of cans of Stella Artois. It's always <laughs> been someone else's weird someone spot. Else. You can yeah, yeah, crawl yeah. into the sewers uh-huh. and go like, yeah. 500 kilometers <laughs> down a pipe that was never used it just goes into the north sea yeah. and at the end you'd find like someone's diary stella artois an old walkman someone's been in there to be sad it would smell somehow faintly still of weed you know someone's had a really shit little party in there like they weren't even having fun <laughs> i like so much of my um teenage antics were like it, it went dark and then I was actually f- freezing. Like we're, we're having a good time, but we can't go in anyone's house. Mm. So we're outside, it's night and it's freezing, but we're, we're in a cave, we're in a quarry, we're on the beach, we're having a good time. A lot, where we ended up, we tried for a while. Yeah. We liked going to farmers' lands where they grew yeah, very yeah, yeah. tall crops. Oh, great right? stuff. The taller yeah, the yeah, crop, yeah. The bear. you just hide behind yeah, it, you fully sit behind signs. it. There was a farmer who like every other summer did rapeseed. Mm. That grows like over two meters tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy peasy, you sit down there. But he got wise to it, got very angry. We kept trying to like stock up and hide <laughs> hide food <laughs> in, in there. Yeah, we kept trying yeah. to like cover up. We kept thinking, oh, we got leftovers. Let's leave yeah, them for yeah. next time. And obviously like foxes went mental, then he went mental, but the foxes <laughs> were there. We tried to make some like little wooden furniture as well. So mm. we, eventually we're like, he was just too vigilant. Our place that we ended up settling on was a disused World War II pillbox oh. on the exterior perimeter of a BAE systems factory oh, on the Humber man. estuary. Oh. <laughs> 
that's countryside. That's that British was, countryside. That was very, very good. You'd only meet people if they were trying to walk around the perimeter of the country. Mm. So you would occasionally meet someone, and they were like, oh, yeah, we're doing the perimeter walk. I'm like, what, walk the whole of the island of Britain? Yeah, I'm knackered. You'd meet very strange people. <laughs> How much days off have they got off work? I think they're people who, they wouldn't understand the question. Right, right. <laughs> they're like little hobbits. They <laughs> only live to build up further callus. We have to get the ring to Mordor. Once I do an entire loop of the island, it will vanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just selecting it. Yeah. yeah, I'm a cursor. Invert selection, oh no. Invert selection, delete, oh no. <laughs> oh dear. I think the Isle of Wight's still here. Yeah. I, I had the advantage of quite a few of my mates were, well, my mates weren't farmers. They were the sons of farmers. That meant I knew the farmers and I knew the farmers who would shoot you mm. or threaten to shoot you and the farmers who would would not. Boy, oh boy, they don't like you being there. Some of them are fully not asked as long as you're not like a total tool. I read up on the laws of wild camping at yeah, different yeah, yeah. parts of the UK and it's technically illegal uh, everywhere in England, I think Wales as well. Mm. Scotland has a more lax policy on it because there are just parts of the Highlands which are like, go for your life, do what you want. Yeah. Um, but I was reading it about um, Ireland and, and different parts of Wales, and it moved on to like everything's sort of owned by someone. Um, so here are our tips for befriending a farmer. It'll be like different drinks that are popular in different regions. Yeah. Here, if you give them a bottle of this, they'll be like, they'll like you. And it always assumed that all of them would drink alcohol and that <laughs> a bottle or two would mm. get you a couple of nights on the farm. I, think I like that. It's 95% correct. I mean, a lot of farmers are in a position economically fucked and they're mm. kind of getting some subsidy to keep some sheep on a hill that's not remotely profitable in any way. But their families had that farm for 600 years. So they're still doing it, but they don't need that bit of the field that two meter by one meters of your tent is going to take up for one night. They probably yeah. won't even notice it. Let's be honest. A lot of tents they sell are green and they're green for a reason. Camouflage. Yeah. Stealth. Spying. But the, the other thing of the growing up on farms stuff is, but this became my baseline and then realizing this was strange later. I learned to drive at a stupidly young age. I definitely had attempted to drive a car when I was too physically small to drive a car. Me and my mate Tommy had an autograss car, which was a Volkswagen Polo. And I remember like smashing all the windows of it to replace it with chicken wire. Nice. And then we were like driving that around fields, racing other people in similar fucked cars years before we could legally drive on a road, which is... Uh, That's a very countryside tradition mm. that like... The highways and the roads you got your laws for, they don't apply to me and my mate's field. Yeah, yeah. We will the law move doesn't exist in the anything field. around yeah. with <laughs> any of us inside it at any speed. Yeah, well, exactly. Combine harvester. I mean, I was never allowed to operate a combine harvester, but I was in the, I've been in the cab of a combine harvester quite a lot. A plowing tractor. The fuck thing about tractors is, uh, for the, the non-countryside listeners, I'm sure you've been annoyed by them going slow, etc., when you're in it, boy, oh boy, you don't want to be going slow, but the faster you go, they've got no suspension. So they've got suspension in the chair. So the chair's bouncing up and down. I'm sure if you're aware of operating a vehicle, you've got to use like pedals. So the idea of having a bouncy chair and like pedals to operate is a bonkers combo. And that that's just an industrial piece of machinery that's widely used. It's, it's fucked. But if you're in the cab with someone, you are just sat on like the, this, like basically a windowsill. You've got no bounciness and you are having a bad time. I could have stayed in Wales and gone hardcore farming. There's a number of reasons I didn't. The sheer discomfort. Well, I'm waking up at 4 or 5 a.m. every day. As an intensely nervous child, 
I was more put on dangerous vehicles mm. because it was assumed, even though I showed no interest in it and I was just scared, I'm sure I was like, in primary school, again, I was just like, come with me on this motorcycle then and we'll just see how steep a hill we can go oh, up yeah. at maximum speed. No, and I want to clarify. I'm not terrified. I'm, I'm, I'm probably quite close to you. I eventually, when I built the confidence of, to operate vehicles, I built. I, I was constantly terrified. Being on the back of a bike, terrifying. Being on the back of a tractor, terrifying. But, but you couldn't go... No, I'm actually scared. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm scared. I'm scared. What's the, the age at where you're allowed be to be scared? Mm. <laughs> What's the youngest you can be where it's socially acceptable to go? No, that scares me. <laughs> I think I'd have to. I think I'd have to have gone to uni to be able to go. No, I don't want to do that. I think it's maybe any pure environment. That, right? I would just purely um, count out peer pressure. Is has a powerful effect on my behaviour. Yeah, this is why I don't. I can never understand people who. who continue to live in the place they were raised. Don't you want to say I'm scared sometimes? I revel in that freedom on an almost mm. daily basis. Mm. Yeah, I would prefer not to. I'm, that, that scares me. Yeah, that scares me is is my I would prefer not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm scared. Being made to do, I got made to do attempt wheelies on my bike way too much, and every time just really hurt myself. There was no like learning curve. It's too difficult. Yeah, no one wants to do the intermediary steps before you no. do the advanced things. So you just do the advanced thing and hurt yourself yeah. over and over again. <laughs> learning at appropriate pace yeah, yeah. is also as like a verboden as yeah, just saying I'm scared. Bikes, that's the countryside thing of just. Uh, going through the woods, walking through the woods for half an hour, and then suddenly you're in an elaborate uh, sort of bike track that someone's built loads of jumps and all kinds of crazy yeah. shit. That's the flip side of looking for secret places, right? Sometimes mm. you look for a secret place. It's perfect. It's someone else's secret place. It's someone else's secret place. And then yeah, it comes yeah. down to who's older, who's scarier. And then sometimes, <laughs> you know, so I lived in I lived in Birmingham until I suddenly lived in the middle of the countryside. Mm. What counted... It's like a scary guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. To yeah, me, very different. was like, this isn't a scary guy. I consider myself scarier than this guy. To me, a scary guy is someone who's willing to kill me over what's in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what counts as scary. But just living in this bit of the countryside, people are like, oh, it's scary. It's just someone who sells weed. Mm. And everyone's terrified of them. But it means if they're on the swings, and they're like, i got the swings. I can be like, can I ever go on the swings as well? Me and my friends want to go on the swings. I know they're not going to do anything. They've never had to learn. They've never had to learn to be an absolute nutcase because it's uh, too calm in this bit of the country. No, see, I had a combination of countryside, but with in orbit of real. So the guy mm. who sell weed. So you've got did, urban he did have a machete spilling into the woods. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. They're in the woods. Um, yeah. So the people wow, Birmingham who, with a full forest. Yeah, that's yeah. actually quite scary. Yeah, yeah. That was that was quite stressful. I do remember going to the the. Uh, the caves once the, the Roman led mine <laughs> my mates was just slightly in front of us and then he just turned around and was like we have to go we have to go <laughs> like why why <laughs> he just said there's some bad lads there there's some bad and, but you know we were in many ways bad lads but they were bad lads oh yeah when you exist you know that ability to know exactly where you are in this pecking order hierarchy yeah, yeah, yeah. and people outside it don't understand they don't mm. understand how everyone seems to know yeah you just know. It's like you can sort of, it's like you've got an augmented reality, like Dragon Ball Z um, strength <laughs> calculator, and you add up all these lads, you look at your yeah. lads, and you're like, no, 
No. Yeah, and that's what <laughs> he can say. That's what he can say. I'm scared. Mm, I am scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm scared. Yes, we're all These scared. Are bad. Let's leave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're badder than us. Saw a horse wanking once on a farm. I just didn't know a horse could wank. Oh, was it doing like frottage? Um, what, frottage. What's that? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know what that word means. Um, I, I think it's the fancy word for dry humping. I, I think it's when you might... Um, I think dry humping is just when you rub your member along uh-huh. something or someone. And then frottage might be like between the legs or thighs of another. So it's not sexual, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, penetrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. That- so you, you've, got, you've hooked into the issue that how can a horse wank? It's got hooves. It can't be gripping anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What, what the horse wank is, is it'll do... Um, you know the sort of uh, Kegel-related manoeuvre where you can sort of move a penis? Oh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's doing Never that. Never did a lot for me, personally. It's, it's whacking it against its horse belly. And can that bring it to climax? Uh, I've not seen that. Oh, it's just it's just torturing itself. <laughs> horse edging. Yeah, well, uh, even <laughs> edging, you think at the end I could just stop edging. Come. I've never seen it. My mate claimed he'd seen one of them come. And I'm like, fucking hell, mate, how long were you watching it? How long were you watching a horse wank to see it to come? And then he, and then it became the whole thing of like, well, no, 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 I was just walking I was walking past it and then it came. I was like, what, did you make it come? Did your appearance make a horse come? How do you feel about that? I don't think it would bother me. Well, I don't think it would bother you. I'm not saying it would be bad. I think it could just be spooked, you know? I, I, I mean, I've never had this happen, yeah, but I'm presumably... Come from just being a, spooked... I think a frightened at the right time can raise your blood pressure and then that might just... Yeah, horses, if a horse is edging for 35 minutes and then gets spooked by a sudden appearance of a human, its immediate reaction is just come. I think, yeah, any shock to the system at the right moment can just have these <laughs> profound effects, especially if you're trying to hold you're trying to hold your breathing and your mindset and exactly, you know, it's like you're trying to balance this, this spirit measure in your mind and, a, you know... <laughs> Some guy wandering down the field. Yeah. The whole house of cards comes tumbling down. They do. They, they, come. They, 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 the horses are wanking. Other fuck stuff after me. I thought I nearly drowned in like a sort of slurry lagoon. What exactly is slurry? Uh, liquid shit. Um, okay. It's, it's sort of slightly watered down. If you saw slurry, in, you would probably go, that's diarrhea. And in yeah. many ways it is. Um, but it's not like they're giving animals diarrhea in order to collect diarrhea it's it's probably regular shit that is then mixed with water to make it runny so that it can be used to fertilize plants or whatever right so it's a wet form of manure it's wet manure yeah yeah it's just it's like reeking. this um just this transition from cum to poo in this conversation <laughs> <laughs> and then um, it, it, it's the horrors of farming right because i think we're all, everyone has like an idyllic of like ooh, nature no it's fucked there's weird stuff going on with cum and shit mm. you know when when Werner herzog he he filmed one of his films in the rainforest and mm. he he describes it like it was the birthplace of his kind of stoic german nihilism that he just saw death and decay and everything was locked in this eternal battle and he realized that life was suffering i think a trip to a farm can do that for you, you don't need to go to the rainforest i think you could just see that everything's coming and pooing all the time you're like this isn't like an eternal struggle against, you know, entropy. This just fucking stinks. Uh, slurry, like, it, it was properly horrible. You know, it's like a meme now of like, oh, I didn't encounter quicksand in my life as much as my childhood taught me to. Fucking slurry is very quicksandy. Like, I've, li- I've, I've mm. lived sinking into a thing that's, it's got a lot of purchase on it. It's got a lot of suction because it's thick. It's like custard yeah. thick, right? Fell into it in a bit of the farm me and my mate shouldn't have been him. And then he pulled me out by my head Ooh. because my arms went in. 
my arms went in easy, but then they were like stuck. I couldn't get my arms out. Because once you're glooped in, there's nothing to push against, right? Uh-huh. Pushing is just yeah, submerging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fucked. Stank of shit. My mate Tommy's mum hosed me down with quite a powerful hose pipe, shouting at me, obviously, because I could have died. So probably quite a stressful thing to... And a key question is what led yeah. to you going into the slurry? What uh, were f- actually fell, fell. Didn't, didn't and jump And why were you near the lip of some kind of slurry pot, some kind of slurry bath? Messing or- about. <laughs> Messing about. Messing about on the rim of a slurry yeah, container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were sort of asking for it then. Well, no. <laughs> I was there out of peer pressure uh, and then it went badly wrong. What the fuck, farm shit? Car- prematurely born calf helped raise it, remember feeding it milk, uh, and then uh, got killed by, according to the vet, a badger, which doesn't make any sense to me. That's fucked, isn't it? For food or Oh, no, what? no, no. It probably, the, the vet's explanation was that it probably accidentally trod on the badger and then the badger panicked and lashed out. Do you blame the badger? No, okay. I love badgers. I think they're cool. Yeah. Um, but Even I'm after scared that, of them. do you love that specific badger? I mean, that badger's dead. That happened years ago. <laughs> yeah, I suppose nature just took its course. Yeah, uh, but... I mean, farmers in general hate badgers because of both. I mean, the example I've just given was bizarre and I still don't believe that vet, but like bovine TV farmers set digging. They build their little tunnels and under the field. But like a badger, very low center of gravity, much higher speed than you'd ever imagine. Powerful mm, jaws. Vicious. Yeah, they're like a living torpedo. Yeah, they, they look really nice. But if you, and, and they're kind of scaredy cats, but if one was pissed off at you, if one was coming for you, it'd be an issue. Mm. I love the specific animal grudge. Mm. The, like the Moby Dickification of something that you could just get over. <laughs> like my nan who thinks there's a specific like cat that comes in. And it's not a specific cat. It's just there are cats. Mm. Or like the hedgehog deciding that's the same hedgehog as last time. It could like be. Like refining animals down into individuals that you can have relationships with. I think it's wrong to suggest that an animal cannot act on malice so you're you're probably you're an advocate of the animal grudge you're the uh, a- advocate of a moby dick no, relationship I, I, i'm I, I think i'm coming at it from a slightly different angle of what i like is the idea that an animal has a grudge against you i like the idea that that uh, a beast and a beast of the natural world has taken against a human and is like maliciously shitting in their garden. I just don't think it can. I think there's something that you're triggering in the animal and you need to work out what that is and change it. You need to just keep changing things about yourself. It could just be you've got a lump of meat somehow stitched into the lining of your jacket and the moment that goes out, this like terrapin or whatever that's going for you just leaves you alone. You know, we all like to anthropomorphise the beasts, right? Oh, I'll anthropomorphise anything. Oh, I specifically decide that every heron I see is the same heron. Yeah. And then I could be like, oh, what's he up to today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gone over here. He's gone over there. He's doing this today. Oh, what a busy life. Storybookification of what is, in fact, nihilistic wilderness. The, the farmers don't Moby Dick the animals. They just do hate them. Like if, yeah. if a farmer turns against badgers, they hate all badgers. If a farmer turns against foxes, they hate all foxes. They hate rabbits. Rabbits are digging. The rabbits eat your veggies. Farmers, mm-hmm. if, if, you're, uh, if you're vegetarian, I mean, I'm vegetarian, but if you're vegetarian and you think uh, that your vegetables are bloodless, no, no, no. They are, rabbits are being slaughtered to maintain your veggies. Because if they weren't, the rabbits would be eating your veggies instead of you. And then digging tunnels yeah. through the irrigation system and rapidly multiplying. So it's probably just as vegetarian to eat the rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flawless logic 
Um, but then the, uh, the, the animals the farmers have are fucking mad as well. Sheep, the blight of the hills. The UK was massively deforested a couple of thousand years ago. And then sheep just maintain that because they'll just, if a sapling just pops up, sheep will go, ooh, delicious. Yeah. And uh, that maintains deforestation, which, which, the lack of trees causes a lot of problems, especially due to rivers, because yeah. a lot of the things yeah. that maintains the shape of um, the riverbeds and the river sides is actually like roots going through them, holds that shape, but stops mud just continually falling mm. into it. Mm. So a lot of the flooding that we have experienced and are going to experience are due to the lack of uh, responsibility and legal requirements of farmers to do anything to like maintain arable grazing lands. Like, you know, the, the countryside of people's heads is sheep on the hills, but sheep on the hills is still depressingly industrialized mm. like the fields are fields of the countryside but they're not nature yeah it it's would the, be yeah. just woods yeah. if it was left to its natural state yeah and that's the then you get the whole rewilding thing which is we need farmland because we need food the uk only produces like 60 percent of its own food loads of farm loads of farmland just isn't arable that's why sheep are on the hills because it's very difficult mm. to plow a hill <laughs> Yeah. Um, funny, but difficult. It would be funny to plough a hill. Yeah. It'd be funny to see carrots coming off at 45 degrees. Yeah, it would yeah. be a laugh. I'd be laughing falling down the hill with a plough. <laughs> breaking, <laughs> breaking my back with a plough in my hand. <laughs> and the hedged off, the, the crisscross hedgerows and dry stone walls that denotes like where you can walk and where you can't walk. Yeah. I was thinking, because we did an episode recently about um, transport infrastructure and the ease through which someone who lives in a city environment should or can get from yeah, A to B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thinking about living in the, in the countryside as a child, one of the defining features of living out where there are farmlands is that you cannot get anywhere, hmm. but you can always see like a field, often with nothing happening to it, like left fallow, hmm. that is massively blocking off just a big chunk of land that you've got to go around these like tiny routes navigating especially when you're like a teenager you don't drive actually getting anywhere in the countryside can i give you a life hack just go in the field walk straight across it there you go <laughs> in the heart of england rising amidst the verdant derbyshire landscape lies kinder scout a magnificent windswept plateau today it stands not only as a testament to the raw beauty of nature but also as a symbol of people's power and resolve, a monument to the spirit of freedom and the right to roam. On a spring day in 1932, over 400 people took part in the Kinder Scout mass trespass. Organised by the Young Communist League's Manchester Division, this wasn't just bad lads looking for somewhere to smash down Kansas Stella. It was a defiant protest against the restrictions that barred public access to vast tracts of private moorland. These beautiful landscapes were largely preserved for the elite, who used them just a few days a year to kill birds for fun. Most of these trespassers were working class people, hardened by long hours in factories or scarred by unemployment, longing for the solace of the open countryside. Communist League flyers read like a call to arms, exhorting fellow comrades to reclaim the fine country at present denied us. They met resistance in the form of gamekeepers hired by the rich landowners to maintain their monopoly on the moorlands. What followed was a brief scuffle, yet it did not dampen the spirit of the protesters. They pressed on, their resolve echoed in the lyrics of socialist anthems like the Red Flag and the Internationale. The protest culminated in the arrest of six ramblers, who faced charges of riotous assembly and public order offences, despite trespassing not being a criminal offence. Their punishment was jail time, 
an injustice that stirred the public consciousness. The Kinder Scout trespass was a rallying cry, a potent symbol for the fight for the right to roam freely in the English countryside. The event and its aftermath swayed public opinion, inspiring subsequent protests and paved the way for the National Parks and Access to the Countryside Act of 1949 and the Countryside and Rights of Way Act of 2000, monumental laws that greatly expanded public access to open lands. Thus, the protest at Kinder Scout became a significant chapter in the struggle for public rights. It underscored the power of unity, of direct action, and the importance of standing up for our right to land. Echoes of that protest continue to resonate today, a source of inspiration and a reminder of the persistent fight for the right to access and enjoy the wonders of nature. Oh, oh, bird. Bird, bird, bird. Sorry, distracted. Trespassing, an act often met with disdain as it challenges established property rights, possesses an untapped potential as a form of activism, transgression, and a means to liberate our common inheritance from the clutches of private ownership. In England, restrictive property laws keep 92% of land and 97% of rivers out of public reach. Throughout history, trespassing has stood as a powerful act of civil disobedience and protest against injustices perpetuated by the ruling class. When activists step onto private property or restricted areas, they not only draw attention to issues such as land inequality, environmental degradation and social injustices, but also force society to confront them the inherent contradictions of a system that grants privilege to a few while depriving the majority of their rightful access to resources. From the enclosures of the common lands during the agrarian revolution to contemporary struggles against corporate land grabs, trespassing has consistently been used to disrupt unjust power dynamics, making it an indomitable tool in the hands of those seeking change. Trespassing challenges the deeply ingrained narrative that private ownership is an unquestionable and natural state of affairs. It is an active refusal to acknowledge artificial boundaries as trespassers step onto owned land, exposing the myth of exclusive rights and laying bare the fallacies of an unequal social order. Throughout history, private ownership rooted in violence, colonization and enclosure has enabled the concentration of wealth and power in the hands of a select few. Trespassing disrupts this, revealing that land is not inherently owned, but is instead part of our common inheritance belonging to all of us. It is an act of defiance against a system that seeks to confine and control, reminding us that the land is a birthright that cannot and should not be monopolized. The private ownership of land perpetuates social inequality and restricts access to vital resources. Trespassing serves as a powerful tool to challenge this oppressive structure by asserting the rights of the dispossessed and marginalized. It allows communities to reclaim spaces that were historically theirs and highlights the fundamental injustice of privatizing what should be held collectively. Trespassing is a call for justice. An assertion that the land should be a source of sustenance and empowerment for us all, not just a means for the privileged few to amass wealth, exert control and shoot birds. Because a lot of those right-of-way walking routes, yeah. some farmers don't give a shit, some of them aren't even really clear whether it's just a historical route that people have used or whether it's something that's actually like held up by like some ancient this is a, a scroll deep yeah. in the bowels of the council library some monk has put in the doomsday book that you're allowed to walk here but you can't bring a dog or something yeah. like and whether or not that's going to be respected it's just based on whether or not someone's going to come out of the shed run in between several cows and call you a dickhead yeah it, but in a voice and, in an accent you can't understand wielding yeah. a gun never had a gun wielded although i have found myself in the middle of where people are like a shooting grouse and stuff okay, when I was yeah, wandering. that's dangerous yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i once i was walking through some like caramel crop or whatever but a tall yeah. crop and a bunch of pheasants and grouse came out i'm like that's not a natural amount and then it had some like bookshot <laughs> that's, <not a> <laughs> that's not a natural amount yeah, sometimes it's 
Yeah, and then you'd hear some bookshot in the woods, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just going back. I'm just, yeah. I know, I know where the nearest A road is, and they're not going to do it near there, so I'm off. Um, <laughs> in the same patch, I once nearly got hit by a deer, and that was quite spooky because mm. I was walking the dog, and it must have spooked something. And because I was walking through or near very tall crops, neither of us could see each other until the collision was almost about to happen. Fucking hell. I like that bit at the edge of, you know, so going to an A-road, on the edge of motorways where there's like a mini rewilded area, but it's a horrific rewilded area because it's like, oh my God, it's a little utopia where there's nothing's being farmed and there's just a a, a two metre wide little mini forest. However, there's also vehicles hurtling along at 70 miles an hour that will just smash my life away. Well, this is what I always found so grim, right? I I used to work at a pub that was in the other village down. And I had to walk on a bit of absolute scrappy nothing next to a big dual carriageway. So I'm like, that's my only way to get from A to B. And alongside it is just empty fields. And these I couldn't get through. These would be like adequately fenced off. I think in the city, you imagine the countryside as emptiness because it looks empty. But when you're there, you're like, well, no, everything's sort of full. There's nowhere to Uh build anything new. There's nowhere to do anything new. A lot of this is land. And a lot of it seems visibly just to be owned because it's owned a lot of it's not having anything done with it it's just someone's yeah so there's like land there's the depressing stuff of like all this enclosure to for production for capital like when you're looking out at fields crisscrossed with hedges and walls it's still industry it's just agricultural industry it's still you know business uh it's you know like when you're in the countryside like oh i'm escaping from the the all this business stuff no no you're still in it uh, but you're 100 percent if anything it's more hidden because you don't yeah. have these like big signage saying this is owned by this llc or yeah. such and such properties you just have a hedge you know <laughs> yeah and then some of it and, isn't like you say isn't even productive it's just where someone goes to shoot grouse every now and then and it's fucked as well because the countryside is like such a resource for like being outside is nice right being outside yeah. is 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 like demonstrably good for your mental health being in nature alleviates stress, anxiety, uh, depression. It is nice. It is pleasant. It can stimulate creativity. And it is a thing we are denied. Yeah. And it almost feels like a lot of the time we're in the countryside, you can feel like you're in a nature zoo where you can see, you are still walking on tarmac and concrete. You can see <laughs> yeah. nature. But it is private. It owns someone else and yeah, you would be yeah. t- trespassing. Mm-hmm. I don't think any teenager who's grown up in the countryside has not trespassed because it's impossible to do anything or get anywhere yeah, without yeah. doing something that is technically <laughs> Knowingly or trespassed. not knowingly, yeah. A lot of this land, I remember um, the Pig District. Pig District? The Pig District. Ah, sorry. I, I like, wouldn't mind the pig I would district. like the pig. Yeah, yeah. I was. I, I asked that with like, is that something that I don't know about? Although well, that sounds more like a residential yeah, area. Yeah, like yeah. A, <laughs> 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 Go down to the pig district. No, no, they don't like humans down there. A retirement centre for the police. Oh, that would be good. Then we could just wall it in. <laughs> <laughs> don't enter the hoglands. They can deal with it themselves. Yeah, yeah. They're their own society. And one of the big issues the UK has is actually not only like property ownership isn't like displayed anywhere mm-hmm. you can't even find out who owns a lot of this land no we are possibly one of the worst countries for transparency in land oh, ownership yeah, 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 yeah. because it all of these things go back like you know a lot of the land ownership goes back bloodlines and bloodlines and aristocracy that's and, what i was saying mysterious scrolls again this goes 100 percent mysterious yeah. scrolls there was actually a commission 
that tried to look into this in the 70s. The Labour government set up something called the Royal Commission of like Income and, and Inequality. Mm. And they said we couldn't really complete this task entirely because there's such a paucity of information on who owns land. Yeah. That we couldn't really get to the bottom of it. And then Thatcher came in and went, I oh, just don't bother doing anything. This entire commission is scrapped. And then more recently, uh, I think it was Quasi Karting, tried to look into, because obviously Russian oligarchs shadow owning big properties <laughs> yeah. in London City is now politically much more undesirable than it once was. But then when it comes to being like, okay, so we're going to look into the legality of some of this ownership. How? The loopholes upon loopholes of who owns things is just completely occludes and obfuscates where the money's going from who actually holds the deed to these things. Well, it, some of it goes back to as early as like initial enclosure from the 1500s mm. and 1600s where, you know, some of it they managed to do through what at the time were legal means, but it was still, you know, class robbery. But on, on the other hand, some of it was just the local lord going, this is mine now. The farmers I knew as a kid, they were renting their farms. They didn't own them. They were like tenant farmers, which always seemed bonkers of like, your labor and the labor of the labor of everyone here is like making this land productive. You're like barely doing okay because the supermarkets are fucking you over with price gouging, or sometimes literally at a loss with like dairy. And then you don't even you don't own this. This isn't yours. This is some genuinely a lord. There's a guy called Lord Langford who owns loads of land in North Wales. Yeah, Lord's still owning huge amounts of land. Yeah, is the, is like every countryside community knows the estate of the local lord that still owns this, that, this, that, and this, that. I think the stat is like half of England is owned by 1% of the population. Yeah. Like the land ownership inequality is like ancient. And then all those lords will be slowly selling it to Vanguard and BlackRock. Because land has this like built-in value, yeah. land as, a, as like a commodity, it doesn't really fluctuate hugely because everyone always massively wants yeah, it. And yeah, if, yeah. if you're in a country where all the land is owned... God's not making any more of it. Exactly, right? So you can ransom it off. There have been times where like no. councils and stuff are trying to get some land to build housing and suddenly the valuation they're being given by the landowners is like mm. 200 to 300 times more. Mm. So you can just absolutely ransom it off. And that means like the housing crisis is absolutely beholden to this because you we need to build houses on existing land that is undeveloped and it's just owned by like um speculators who just buy up land for mm. this purpose of gouging or just old aristocracy who just can also gouge it because they're they're often in cahoots with the speculators who now run like these companies just for holding your land and assets and gouging them um so that's why like even though we've got a massive housing crisis you're seeing people build like luxury flats, high-end flats. Buildings are still being made for people to live in, but only on like the highest income brackets because the investment is so high. The return has to be high because the price of land is constantly maintained at a ludicrous valuation. Well, there's also the people who live in the countryside who are like, I don't want a development by me. That's my field I like to look at. Yeah, the, the, the village I lived in had um, an ongoing, quite huge Facebook petition against a new new, new housing development mm. even though a lot of those petitions were the people who lived in the old housing development that was also quite new <laughs> like, we're the last ones we're the last generation to come here then pull the ladder up i need to get here before i pull the ladder up otherwise i won't get there <laughs> i found out i was looking i'm always obsessed by what the crown estate owns mm. um like the biggest land ownership bloodline yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not that much agricultural land they own about 
maybe 0.5%. The royal family owns over half of the foreshore in the UK. There's always a 50% chance when you're on the beach that belongs to the king. (laughs) (laughs) And that also means all the oil platforms and often a lot of the wind farms, you see. That's Crown Estate stuff. Nationalise it. And then I got really... I went into um, reading about land tax. Mm. Land tax is actually quite interesting. As a policy that you just tax land at a flat rate based on how much land you own, it's got this kind of bipartisan appeal. Adam Smith liked it. Mm. Winston Churchill was in favour and Jeremy Corbyn. It's like a Mm. strange... Because the idea is that it's incredibly simple, Mm. right? How much land do you own? I'm a taxi based on that. But because land doesn't lose its value, right? You're not going to get people being like, oh, I don't care about land then and moving into other sectors. Every sector requires land. Yes. So it's considered this kind of perfect tax in this like, you know, macroeconomic sense Mm. because you're not going to dissuade people off of land by taxing it. People are always going to want land. And that's why you've got people in favour. And also um, Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonough are in favour because it is this considered this pro- progressive taxation because people without land aren't taxed at all. Yeah. And as you said before, did you say 50% of the land's owned by like 1%? 1%. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I'm just thinking of a man putting his hand up in question time and going, well, everyone's got 100 acres. That's nothing. Yeah, we've all got a few acres. I'm working class and I yeah. own 100 acre woods. <laughs> I'm working class and so are my tenants. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that sends your mind boiling is when you realise what the UK has as an alternative to land tax. Because the closest thing the UK has is council tax. Mm-hmm. And so that means if you own land, you can pop someone in that land and then they pay the tax on it. Mm. We are, if, if you're renting, you're play, paying the tax for the land for your landlord. Yeah. As opposed to them paying tax because they own land. It's almost as if the entire economy is geared towards rinsing the working class rather than the owning class. It does seem that I'm way. I'm really worried that might be the case. But my, my issue with that would be that that wouldn't be very fair. <laughs> <laughs> Property rights enforced on the land itself is fucked. But the way that like that kind of enclosure goes through farming across the world. Big farmers who exploit cheap, often migrant labour in the UK, hugely exploitative. How can they exploit that labour? Because they own and control the land. Internationally, you know, the supermarkets exploit farmers and farm labourers for cash crops, your tea, your rice, your coffee, oranges, stuff that isn't being grown in the UK. Often a 10x markup is what you're paying the supermarket and to what the farmer who's actually made the crop is getting for it. Down to copywriting and owning the property of a crop. Like Monsanto owns, Mm. you know, has taken farmers to court for their crops being found growing in their land. Pollen is moved by insects and, you know, the wind can move things. So the fact that someone's particular GMO crop is growing on your land and then you're being taken to court for breach of copyright. Yeah. So it's not... A a crow did a shit in my field (laughs) and now I'm some sort of seed pirate. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's fucked up. And, And then 
I mean, Monsanto are like true, true hardcore evil. Um, Terminator crops is like a type of crop they designed where you'd have to buy it from them every season because be able to replicate itself. So basically, you can plant it, it grows a crop, and then you just cut. You won't be able to get new seed out of it. Yeah, they're trying to turn farming into the same subscription model as yeah. like the adobe suites. Yeah, yeah. Well, adobe in many ways is copying Monsanto. Monsanto is like ahead of the curve, right? Uh, so much of this stuff, like if you think of it, you know, primitive accumulation and just like rentier behavior, that often comes from land and farms and then the rest of the economy follows it. Like mm. agriculture is where that, it, it, you know, if you, if, you th- if we think of the early development of capitalism, how did it develop? Well, it developed through the slave trade and the plantation and taking land from uh, Native Americans and then turning it into plantations and then using slave labor on it. to So your ownership of the land and your ownership of the people generated profit and then and then imposing that same logic through enclosure in Europe to go okay let's make this more like a plantation let's get rid of any kind of communal peasant farming and and strip farming and make it about monocultures and hedged off enclosed farms the genesis of capitalism came about through those changes to to agriculture um, so they're often innovators and Monsanto, Monsanto continues to do it like uh, what other fuck stuff have they done they make herbicide resistant crops so that you can kill you can spray their poisonous carcinogenic shit on the field and it'll kill the quote-unquote weeds but their crops will remain just fucking with stuff like i'm not someone who's like oh because i appreciate that you know you want to get the best yield possible and you can feed more people so i'm not someone who's like everything should be organic because if you can genetically modify things to get more food to feed more people that's good but you can do that in a not transparently evil way. And also a lot of the sustainability claims made by a lot of monocrop farming are a bit bogus. I I know the big thing that people are learning about now en masse, especially with the amount of wildfires that people are getting, Mm. like New York just turned um, blood red for the Diablo 4 launch. (laughs) You know the whole cut down a tree, plant a tree thing? Uh, Yes. But like the the trees that they plant are just this monocrop of trees where it's just these single trees all like two metres apart. That's not a replacement for a forest. It doesn't do as much. You don't have trees at different heights and et cetera. So if if fire tears through that, it tears through it. It's built to burn. Well, also Um, you need biodiversity because crops, you know, certain crops will pair with each other and help each other grow and protect each other. But like... Mono, and again, that monoculture comes from private land ownership, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then you know next stage of copyrighted crops that you get on your subscription model, yeah, enforced through the courts. And there's just a nakedness to being in the countryside because I think anyone who's only exclusively living in a city who's got this kind of pastoral vision of what it's like to be out there, or they specifically go to kind of tourist trap like nice towns Mm. that still have like old brick pubs with roaring fires. The real countryside feels a lot more closed off and a lot more privatized than the city Mm. can because the city still will all have these remnants of the socialism that existed in the beginnings of industrialization. So there will be like these specific town halls and there will be these specific libraries and stuff, but, but especially rural countryside poverty in highly privatized mm. agricultural land ownership spaces are like way more dystopian than any kind of cyber like <laughs> cyberpunk dystopia sucks with hedgerow dystopia country punk country punk is here yeah i'm gonna body modify myself a hedgerow into my arm <laughs> <laughs> monsanto's installed a tractor wheel between yeah. my legs i can sort of inspect a gadget one of my fingers open and it's a root system so i can put, i can hack into a monocrop yeah. <laughs>
Mandatory redistribution party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella G. Thank you for listening to Mando's and very special thanks to those of you who support our work by sharing this episode on social media or supporting us at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party where you can harvest a bumper crop of bonus content. Till next time, much love and Godspeed friends. Thank you.